Hey, you ever listen to stock radio? Ever listen to stock radio on Weeb? Monday night. You made it through your Monday. You did make it through Monday. And you're about to have 420 on Friday. Uh-oh. On a Friday. What better? Right. This is, by the way, our fifth anniversary of Potstock Radio's 420 shows. Wow. Yeah, back to 2014. So 2018 makes for number five. Bravo. Yeah. <laughs> and we have a special... Uh, awesome action-packed show lined up tonight. We are going to start the show in a couple of minutes with the King of Pot. If you've been following legalization of marijuana back to the CNBC Marijuana Inc. days, you'll remember the name Bruce Perlowin. And if you're following pot stocks, you know who Bruce is. He's the CEO of Hemp Inc., but also just a legend in the history of cannabis in the United States. So to start off with Bruce talking some hemp ink, but also talking a little bit of history of cannabis and his history in smuggling as the, one of the country's largest cannabis smugglers ever. So starting off with Bruce Perlowin, who's the history of cannabis, then going to Michael Kramer, who's the CEO and co-founder of 420 Blockchain. Kind of the future of cannabis. If you understand blockchain and get that it's more than just a cryptocurrency, Mike's going to kind of bring you into the now of why blockchain is needed in the cannabis industry. And then we're going to finish off with a buddy of the show and a guy I just love to talk to, Matt Myrna, another legend in cannabis, by the way. He, I mean, if you, you ask most people in Canada, He's one of the main, if not the biggest reason, cannabis became medically legal in Canada because it was the R versus Murdoch case that really began, at least from my understanding. I'm an American, so what the hell do I know? Yeah, right. But at least from what I understand, Murnig was a huge part in the legalization of cannabis in Canada. And also, I don't know if you know this, and doing your little bit of research you did, do you know he ran for mayor of Toronto? I did not know He that. ran for mayor of Toronto. It didn't win, but just the fact that he's the type of dude who would put himself out there so much that he not only got arrested multiple times, but I went, saw you, know that. <laughs> you know what, I'm going to run for office if I have to just to get it out there that this is a plant that helps, not a drug that hurts. It's cool to look at it and think now, like in the future, these people are going to be part of history. Yes. This is going to be taught in history well, not books. Well, maybe not books. <laughs> On history internet web pages. When they <laughs> implant history into <laughs> yeah. your brain, and they're implant history into your brain, and they're talking about cannabis legalization, Bruce Perlowin and Matt Mernig are probably two names that are going to be in that talk. 
So, all right, before we get to our first guest, Bruce, let's just get a little bit of uh, housekeeping out of the way. want to remind everybody that this show is for informational and educational purposes only. We're not trying to get you to buy or sell any security, nor are we trying to get you to use any substance that's illegal in your state. We're really just here as a way for you to do some due diligence as a possible or current investor in cannabis publicly traded companies. And then just a little bit of activism because we love the plant too. Want to remind everyone as well, if you don't know what magical butter is, you need to know what a magical butter machine is. Go to magicalbutter.com, and when you order your magical butter 2.0, which you need to do if you extract and use either tinctures, oils, or butter, buy the magical butter 2.0 and use the promo code POTSTOCK, one word, POTSTOCK. Buy it on their website so your warranty doesn't get void by buying it on eBay or Amazon, and you'll save the same money using our promo code that you would buying it on Amazon or eBay, and you have a warranty from a great company with a great product. So check them out, MagicalButter.com. And I remind everybody, like us on Facebook, we're Potstock Radio. On Twitter, we're at Potstock Radio. And then we also have the group Potstock NJ, which is our page on Facebook. Get involved, follow what we're doing, and uh, happy to have everyone who follows us on board. All right, not waiting any further. Let's go to our first guest, a 420 legend. Welcome back to Potstock Radio, Bruce Perlow. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here again. Oh, thank you for coming back, Bruce. We really did enjoy having you on last time, but we know there's, you know, it's been a couple of years. So much has happened in cannabis, in hemp, that we're really happy to have you back. Oh, thank you. And, and I want to start by reading uh, what I read was, I think, a quote by you. You have one desire, and it's to help change the world into a better place. Give people an idea of what Bruce Perlman is trying to do, not just to make hemp the product of the future like it was the past, but how are you trying to change the world into a better place, Bruce? Okay, well, several ways. Uh, one is by – I've donated a, a whole bunch of stock uh, to nonprofits that I support from you know, people like Pat Chatham's building a free hospital in West Virginia. Uh, wild plants are building the largest wildlife animal sanctuary out in Arizona where we're building our kin's community, which I'll talk about that in a second because that's where we grow our hemp. Um, and uh, just so I've done a lot of that. The, the, the homeless, the organization that feed the homeless, Daniel Brinkley uh, with 20, something like 8,000 veterans died holding hands with one of his hospice leaders in veterans hospitals all over America. So those kind of organizations I've donated to. Now, now if the, what I do to change the world is I build eco-villages, and the idea is that if you want to change the world, which I've been wanting to do since I was a hippie in the 60s, I have two rules that I go by. You, know, you better make a lot of people a lot of money or it's not going to happen, and number two, you better make a, a lot of money by a factor of 10 just to get their attention and prove that your model works. And with what I do, I call it quantum economics, and hemp is the driver. That's the economic engine behind everything I do. Um, uh, we, we can do that. We can make a lot of money while changing the world because economically, that's, you know, we all need to have food, clothing, and sheltering. So I've actually pulled it off. I got a model, and it's worked, and it is working, and it will expand very rapidly. 
uh, mostly because of the price of CBD, uh, hemp, and uh, now they're buying flour in dispensaries. And the price of hemp buds is almost, and in some cases, higher than the price of marijuana buds. Crazy. And, and, yeah, and speaking of cannabis, you know, cannabis in general, but the difference between hemp and marijuana, do you think hemp should try to separate itself from, let's call it the bad cousin pot? Or do you believe they really – okay, go ahead. Yeah, no, absolutely, because you cannot get high smoking hemp. And people are smoking it, and I'm talking – this is a, a six-month to 12-month-old fad, and it hit us all by – by storm, none of nobody saw this coming. They're smoking it to um, to get off of cigarettes. They're smoking it for the calming, relaxing, anti-post-traumatic stress disorder uh, effects. Uh, and it's just instead of taking tinctures, people are starting to smoke it like uh, like crazy. You go into any dispensary now, and you'll be able to buy CBD buds that you cannot get high on. Um, but yes, it should. To answer the question, it should definitely be separated from. Uh, recreation and medical marijuana and Mitch McConnell just I believe it was yesterday um, introduced the bill or maybe even last last week to totally deschedule hemp because it they never should have been scheduled in the first place so if that goes through it's a whole new world for the you know for the, the hemp industry everybody who's sitting on the fence will no longer be sitting on the fence and I've heard some humongous Fortune 500 companies, Fortune 100 companies wanting to buy CBDs and put it in their foods. I mean, I don't know if it's urban. You know, it's, there's too much smoke. Too many people that are very wealthy are telling me the same story about all these big giant companies. Soon you're going to see CBDs, I believe, in a huge percentage of our food. Bruce, while we're on this topic, I wanted to ask how does the CBD from hemp differ from the CBD from marijuana? It doesn't. There's just a lot more of it in um, uh, in hemp. Here, here, here's what happens with the, with the marijuana. You can extract it, and you're going to get THC, and you're going to get CBD. And with marijuana, you you know what if you what's the biggest grow any of you have ever seen? Maybe five, six acres. You know that that that's a pretty big grow for recreational marijuana. With hemp, where there's way more CBDs, and there's CBGs, there's CBNs, and there's uh, you know something like 113 last time I counted cannabinoids inside the cannabis plant uh, and and there's 300 terpenes and then there's a thousand compounds if you add all the other stuff like flavonoids and, and, and chlorophyll and things so it's it's such a beginning huge industry with implications that are way off the chart we talk about THC and CBD and some people talk about CBNs and CBG okay so now that's four out of 118 113 um so uh, it, it's a new day as dawn for, for industrial hemp. It's actually go, going to be more expensive than medical marijuana. 47,000 people want to get their license in, in California alone. Prices are already down to 550 a pound for, uh, for recreational strange. marijuana. It is strange that the price of, ca- of marijuana is going down as the price of hemp is going up. But there's also not the amount of growth that there's going to be as hemp becomes something that can be planted and and used as a crop in the United States, right? Isn't that right? It would seem the same thing would happen to hemp once everybody's growing hemp. Yeah, isn't that part of why the price is going up? Because really, 
very few people can grow it or have to import it? Is that what's driving the price up? Yeah, you're, you're exactly right. The price of CBDs is uh, everybody wants Chris. Pure Crocin CBD isolate. Well, you can't get that without biomass, and biomass is the hemp plant. And you're right. There's no big grows. The largest grow, uh, okay, it was 4,000 acres that I've heard of. I'm trying to plant up to 25,000 acres, which I didn't know was very aggressive. It's more than the rest of the country put together. We do have the fact it's farmland. That's crazy, Bruce. You're trying to produce – more acres of hemp. I just want to make sure I understood that right. You're trying to produce more acreage of hemp in 2018 than was produced in the whole country in 2017? Correct, but not what's being produced this year. I promise you. Because, you know, I know one state's growing 40. I think Colorado's up to 40,000 acres, okay. and I'm just trying 25. Now, 25 sounds like a lot. It is a lot. It's 40 square miles. But in 1943... We were producing, as a nation, after the Hemp for Victory campaign, 358,000 acres of hemp. So my little 25,000 acres is a big grow, and it will be probably the biggest individual person growing if I make it. You know, I still have to, a lot of work to do in a very short time. Um, it's not that big an acreage, acreage compared to what we used to grow in America. Way back then when there was, they didn't have any of the mechanization that we have now, my God, the tractors out here can grow do 50 acres in a day in sure. less than a day. And you're also making it for a lot more people than hemp was being produced for back in the thirties. And now we're talking about yeah. our quadruple. Yeah, it was interesting. Back in the thirties, most of the farms were five and 10 acres, 10, 15 acres. And the, the, they were, you know, small farms, and and you could make a living like that on for back then on hemp. But that only they shut that down again after after they got what they needed for the war effort, and then then tobacco became king. Well, tobacco ain't king anymore. It's almost like hemp is the only alternative for the farmers right now. You make more than soybeans, corn, uh, sweet potatoes, uh, anything else, wheat, anything else you can grow, and and with that economic engine. I use that to change the world because I built what I call Veteran Village Kins Community. A Kins Community is a bunch of Kins domains, and a Kins domain is a two and a half acre yeah. eco village. But Explain each one of those, that, in my model, grows read, one acre of hemp. When I read about that, I, I don't think many people, including myself, really understand what a Kins domain is. I didn't understand that either, and I was yeah. interested. <laughs> really friggin' interesting. So, Bruce, give people a little idea of not only what that is, but what has made that your mission. Okay, um, the, it, it came from a series of books called The Reading Cedars of Russia. The first book in that series is called Anastasia. After this lady, Anastasia, this guy in Russia goes up the river. He's an entrepreneur selling stuff, and he meets a forest recluse named Anastasia. And she tells him all this stuff about life, about nature, about how to grow plants, about school, just you know, stuff that, that's off the chart amazing. And she says, okay, go back and write a book. As I, what are you crazy? I don't know how to write a book. He says, just write a book. I'll help you remotely. So he writes a book. Freaking thing became a bestseller. Like I said, 10 million copies were sold. It's been translated in 20 languages. And everybody who's in the permaculture movement or the back to the land movement or the organic garden movement, at least half of those people or a large percentage of them have read this series of books. And it's all about just moving back to nature. You know, you're 
You do a two and a half acre parcel. You ring your land with a living fence. You put a pond there. You have a natural beehive, an organic garden, a family tree that you plant so your great-grandkids and my great-grandparents planted that tree. You build a sustainable house, and you go and you have natural childbirth. And I said, my God, this is the 60s with a template. It's got the back-to-land movement in it, the organic gardening movement in it, the natural childbirth movement in it, the raising of children out in nature. And so when I saw that, I decided that's what I want to do as my way of changing the world. And if you do it for – it starts with two groups. Veteran Village, Kim's community, is, is to rehab veterans. So the first thing I do is I build a holistic healing and learning center and get the addictionologists and the experts on post-traumatic stress disorder, and we, they start – working on it. Meanwhile, they're growing an acre of hemp, and they're learning how to do that along with all the other things to build kids' communities, and they're making let's call it $60,000 a year. So I believe they do everything in this world perfect, perfectly backwards. So if you break down what I do, it literally is the reverse opposite of what you see in the socioeconomic landscape today. I had to send a friend of mine to Malibu for $30,000 to try and cure her of of addictions. It didn't work. So today we have to pay to get well. Here I'm paying the veterans 60000 a year, and I don't care if it takes them three months or three years to get well because they won't be able to buy a lot until they're well. And so you have all these veterans now working together. You know, they all – in the, the corporate culture is let's all be clean, no more meth, no more alcohol. You know, the plant medicines are fine. You know, it's okay if they smoke pot. Um or do other plant medicines, and uh, well, of course, the laws of the, the, the Kim's community that we're building. And I'm building these all over. The first prototype happens to be in, in uh, at north of Kingman in Arizona, but I'm looking for land in Florida, um, um, North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Puerto Rico. And now it's starting to go international because I have at least at least 10 countries wanting to give me huge acreage of land to grow hemp in because they all see the economic value of hemp. But what I do is I take this 500 acres. That's what my Kim's communities are. When I get done building 400 uh, Kim's domains, I'm I'm sorry, 160 on the 400 acres. So I'm housing 160 families. Two two more 50-acre parcels turn into 50-acre greenhouses in the the long run. Um, So you end up taking what used to be a monocrop area, 500 acres, producing 10 times as much food and housing 160 families. I think I've proven my point. <laughs> you can make more money yeah, doing it this way than the old paradigm. Incredible. Sounds incredible, but let me ask you this, because you had said you'd pay them $60,000 a year. Is that what it equates to if they continuously grow their one-acre hemp crop that you're then buying it's back from them? strictly on the one what? acre of hemp, yeah. Yeah, we do a rep share. Most of what I do, you know, I'm not going to be put. I don't have ten and a half million dollars to buy enough seeds and clones for twenty five thousand acres. What I do, I rep share. Somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one time had it for (laughs) that in cash too, (laughs) right? But yeah, but here what I do, I just you know, everyone wants to buy the biomass, right? So I said to one guy, and they want to they have these crazy numbers, like I'll sell you a seed, a high CBD seed for a dollar. I'm not paying a dollar a seed. That's that's like, you know, ridiculous. So I said, okay, you want to, you want me to buy my biomass? You give me the seed, and then that biomass I'll sell it back to you at whatever the market price is. Right now it's four dollars a percentage point, 
and it'll keep going up until right before the harvest. It'll probably be up to ten dollars percentage point. After the harvest, it'll probably drop down to four dollars per percentage point again. Um, so it's really exciting times, uh, you know, with with, with uh, this. And so then my eco villages, which rehabs veterans, is the place where we grow all of our hemp. The second thing is for abused women and children. I and that is rampant and uh and but you don't want to use the word abuse because you don't want to, they don't want to be labeled and we don't want to label them. So it's just called women and children's village kin's community. Uh so that so that's my that's my personal change the world model because it will you know, I never thought about these things. I know how much food they produce. I know how much everybody wants to live back in nature. You have a cell phone and your computer. You can live anywhere. But you're making a lot of money right there on the grounds with your hemp, and the community has the 50-acre the, the greenhouse. The second 50-acre greenhouse is to buy two more 500-acre parcels. So, in other words, the seeds of expansion are built into the model from day one. And then these veterans, what are they going to do? They're all going to get jobs. They're going to say, "Hey, let's make a tree trimming. I mean, a tree uh, living tree, a living fence company." And then one of another fifty say, "Let's build a pond building company." And that's who goes out and builds all these kins communities. Which, if you know anything about CBDs, you know that we can grow, process, sell the CBDs at a very high price, uh, even though it's way lower than it has been. It's continued to trend a little bit down. Um, it's still a lot of money, five hundred acres. So then we start. So I'll be building these all over. Now the veteran, he, we clean them up, and we don't send them back to the world that messed them up in the first place. They're going to want to get jobs and build other kin's communities for more veterans and for more uh, traumatized women and children. You know, and then, I, then I've added uh, orphanage village kin's community in Haiti. I took on a, a project down there because, you know, I'm trying to change the world, right? You got veterans have a massive problem, 22 with their community suicide, abused women, yeah. children, massive problem, and orphanages in the case of Haiti, where their yeah. parents died at the earthquake. It's not like they. Yep. I mean, both parents are dead. Bruce, I love everything you're saying here. I love to hear people helping veterans, abused yeah, women, exactly. orphans. I mean, the trifecta. My question is, just in case there's a veteran listening, or how do they? connect with you or how are you connecting with them okay what they would do they would email my personal assistant here in north carolina s williams for sandra s williams at hemping.com and just tell them that they're interested and if they're in the west part of the country we uh we introduce we tell them dwight jury's phone number and email because he's the project manager and people can go out there and see how far it is people can go out there and live in and donate. I never wanted to advertise it for people to go out and help volunteer their time until we had at least electricity and, a, and, a, and a, not an outhouse, you know, no porta potty, yeah. but an actually shower and a toilet, which we are, have it all done now. And I think in three weeks, the rest of the solar, I think they have to put some, all the batteries and, and an alternator or something in. We're live. We got a lot of power out there. And then we are going, and then you know, the, the three, cameras which will show live streaming video will be able to power the server and everyone will be able to see this incredible eco village emerge in the middle of the desert with 300 300 to 500 acres we're going to plant because the other 200 were too hilly uh and if we and if they don't legalize hemp this year in arizona i don't care i'll grow canaf and they'll still look, look dramatic with a 15 foot tall canaf plant which is what we grew 
here in North Carolina until this year, which will grow a little bit of canaf, but mostly hemp. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. What right now? It's just a hundred percent canaf that's being produced in in North Carolina. When no, no, no. Last year we did. Last year the DEA is famous. They do this with every single state. They hold they held up the license so long, eight months. By the time they granted North Carolina the you know the license, it was too late. So everybody had a choice: either plant late, like June and July, or save the seeds until next year. Well, we we did um so we planted some late, and we got some crummy crops except for my yard. You know, my yard. I you know I threw a lot of manpower in it. And we really babied it. And my yard is a dem- another kind of demonstration on how to change the world. If I can prove, and it's going to be a no-brainer, because how to make a, f- a half a million dollars on a small family farm, I, you do that by turning your barn into a cloning room, in my case, putting up a greenhouse and a 1,000 CBD plants per acre. That's five acres. That's 5,000. If I can show a half million dollars of income, I've just bought back a small family farm to the American landscape, and that's what we need because that's what we lost as a nation. We're generations away from the farm. And if I'm, you know, this, you know, you say, how am I going to change the world? There is a TV series and or movie or both coming out about me. And so then I become this big hero, which I sort of am because of the documentary they ran that everybody watched. What do I tell the young kids? What do I say? Go tune in, turn out, tune in, drop Whatever Timothy Leary said, tune in and drop out. Tune in, turn on and drop out. No, I'm not yeah. going to tell him that. Move out to land. And when you move out to the land and you live in nature and you grow your own food and you grow your own cannabis, um, in our case it's mostly in high CBD hemp, and sometimes it will be – well, think about how cool growing your fiber hemp. You grow your own house. You, right. You can grow your hemp. We can grind it up, and there's your uh, hemp cream. In addition. So, so the, that's the, the uh, you know the sort of the cool thing with these eco villages. And then let's take another model: the eco village in Arizona. Say they partner up with an eco village, you know, and there's an eco village say in North Carolina. Well, the North Carolina eco villages, let's say we're doing some CBDs or CBGs or CBNs or this particular terpene profile. Every kin's domain, kin's community, becomes a channel of distribution for all the other kin's communities. Uh, goods that they, goods and services that they provide, and it's an, and I never thought about this until recently because it's now it's you know finally you know come the first one's coming online and it's not going to be a, a you know a concept anymore it's going to be a physical reality the minute those servers are on I mean I did put 20 miles of roads in a couple thousand trees got geodesic domes out there about a million dollars of heavy equipment and irrigation and pipes and wells so we're a long way down. The road, but the minute that that happens, the then this concept of them all working together. My God, can you imagine being a Kim's domain in let's say um, Portugal, and you're making something, whatever it is, CBDs, or even if you're making a you know little gift items for your community, and you got 50 Kim's communities all over America that are your channels of distribution, and that will be very passionate about selling what you make because you're you're a sister kin's community, and it's uh, the other interesting thing about this. And I know it's just the psychology of people because this is not an old. This is an, I'm riding on a movement called the kin's community movement, and there's a lot yeah. of these around. Right, and they only care about one thing. They don't care about politics. They don't care about religion. 
They don't care about a lot of issues. They care about one primary overriding issue. Let's build more kin's communities. Let's build places where people can go live out in the out in nature. And like most farm areas, you know, the old barn raising concept, that's still alive. You know, not as much as it was in the early days, but that spirit that's you know, I call it the spirit of America or the spirit of the American farmer. Everyone starts working together and helping each other because survival's at hand. You know, if I if if I get if I get um, you know some worm on my tomatoes, someone else in the community is a great organic gardener. They'll tell me what to put on it to cure it. Or if yeah. I don't know how to build a pond or something or work with my bees, somebody else in the community will. So you have this incredible cooperation, which is already natural in this kind of a setting. So I sort of take advantage of that natural friendliness and helping to make all, to have all the kins communities working synergistically together. You know, and every one of them will have an extractor on location. I love the idea of like you, when you're talking about that, using things like extraction, yet going back to the way things were done hundreds of years ago. I like that someone like you's vision is to use technology in what is 2018, yet turn back time to live away when things were a little bit easier and worked better with communities supporting each other. So, man, that's, that's, yeah. uh, here's what I can say. I really hope you – and I, I believe you can pull this off because that is the type of thing that hundreds of years from now people will look back at being a way that – Things change when things kept moving forward, forward, forward. You're putting the brakes on using technology to wind things backwards. I like it. Yeah, I, I call it reverse engineering. All the devastation that we and we didn't. I'm not a conspiracy theorist where I think a bunch of people said, "Let's get together and great pillage and plunder and destroy the earth." It just sort of evolved that way. You know, you know, the, the yeah. big steel guys making steel didn't say oh, we're going to put millions of tons of pollutants in the air, and we don't care. They just didn't know. Right? Mm-hmm. Now we know. Now we're, now we, we, it'll be a little bit of a while, but I think humanity's going to pull it off and, and make it through. You know, we're not going to die and blow ourselves up or kill ourselves off. I think we're going to survive, and I think we're going to survive primarily on kin's communities where everybody has two-and-a-half-acre parcels. You know, it's, it's a complete, unique microclimate. It's pretty self-sufficient in and of itself. If you're growing your own food, you have living fences, and you know, but a, a whole community like that is really self-sufficient. And I also teach in the kids' communities you don't delink from society. Like the one out in Arizona, the first one, they're going to be helping to build the largest wildlife animal sanctuary in the world called uh, Wild Planet, which has already been approved by Mojave County to build it out there with a group called Keepers of the Wild who knows what they're doing. You know, so. Uh, it's uh it, it it and with with this bill about to make hemp legal being introduced, that sort of sent the shockwaves to the sector of all the pot stocks and certainly all the hemp stocks certainly been making a nice bounce since you mentioned that. Sure. And do you believe that will happen? Will hemp be removed from the con- the list of controlled dangerous substances? At least, do you believe that's in the near future? Absolutely. You, you know, when you have Mitch McConnell, he's one of the most powerful guys in Washington. His home state is Kentucky. Kentucky has – it makes – you know that's a huge industry, at the, and it's only four years old. 
remember, we're yeah. a baby industry, and four years old, Kentucky and Oregon and uh, Colorado are leading because they yeah. had that four years jump. So, yeah, I believe it's going to be way sooner than, than longer at this point. All right. Now, back to your 25,000 acres. So, it, like, what is in the way of that 25,000 acres all growing hemp in 2018? Is there anything you still have to – hurdles you have to get over to make that change from canaf to hemp in that 25,000 acres? Yeah, there's a lot of hurdles. I'll give you one example. One of our um, one of our uh, um, uh, grow no one of our customers he wants to grow seven thousand four hundred acres of hemp that comes in from Poland I think it's Gigi is the strain and okay. uh, so and he's he's got it all arranged everything was set forty four thousand seeds were coming in. And then he was going to bring it into South Carolina. He can't bring it into South Carolina, they tell him, because he can only grow 20 license holders, can only grow 20 acres each. That's enough seed for 7,400 acres. So they said, no, he can't bring it into here. He can bring it into there, but he can't leave it there. So we're going through the paperwork to get – because we're a seed. We have a license to farm agriculture sell seed, but it's not a canaf seed. So now we have to reapply for hemp seed. And so he couldn't do it, so we're picking up the ball. So th- that's an example on 7,400 acres, which is a big chunk of that 25. And sure. he's going to take three semis, put it out on the land, and we're going to bring it to him in bales, the big bales that we make. And he's going to crush it up and grind it up and pelletize it and make um, uh, horse bedding right there in the field. I can't wait to see this equipment, okay? So, okay, so that's uh, something in – that might not happen if we don't get the seeds in quick enough. All right? And believe me, it's a in this, the, right in front of our face. It's a major, the only thing we're focused on. Another deal I have is um, a rev share with um, a million clones from Colorado. Okay, not still only about 700 acres, but um, uh, it, we, they haven't signed the contract yet, and we haven't seen the clones. And then I heard they had a falling out with their partner, so that. Mm-hmm. Deal could fall through that we're still get you know, once I once I sign the contract you'll see it in a, a press release. Another guy said he'll give me the uh, enough seeds for a thousand acres as long as he can buy the biomass back. And and by the way, if any big company wants to secure the biomass, that's uh, to to make their isolate. That's what they have to do. They got to secure it, and I'm the only guy growing enough of them to secure. So I made it that two page brochure. I sent you that was for the big companies to say oh my god if we're going to really put get you know 5,000 kilos of crisp and isolate every month we better tie up this guy's supply and I'm going to double every year whatever I do this year 25,000 if I hit my target the next year will be 50 I know I'll hit 50 next year you know um because we're just doing too many things to and to focus on just this. But next year we'll have our own seeds. I don't have to buy them, right? And, yeah. and next year we'll have our own clones. I won't have to import her. And now knowing yeah, that no. this year you are, like you're taking seeds from, like you said, imported from Poland. Well, how how do you know yeah. before you grow it that it's going to yield less than a point three? 
1% THC count that will make it legal to be grown in North Carolina. How hard is that? That's not really, not in this, because this okay. is the fiber. The fiber the fiber strains, you really don't have much of a worry about. Um, and, uh, and and it's you know it's certified seed, which means it's certified to be under 0.3%. Right, so um, now in some cases – what was that? And also to not be a clone? Like, the, how do you know you're not getting a clone to begin with? Oh, no. A clone's a little – this is like a branch. You, you cut and then you put it in a little tray. Then these are all just seeds. Oh, okay. you know, got, so, got you. Got you. And, I right. So now you do have a problem with some of those clones and some of the other seeds that they can't go hot. And the only thing you can do against with that, because quite frankly, that 0.3% is ridiculous. That's the other thing yeah. that needs to change. You know, no one's getting high on three percent, let alone point three percent. So, um, and, and that'll eventually change. But you, if it starts to go high, you have to have the wherewithal to test it yourself. And because if a heat stroke happens at the end of the season, it's going to produce more THC because that's this what, why it does produce THC when it's under stress. Uh, you know, a hot bunch of hot summer days can do that. So you just test it, and if it starts going hot, you cut it down, and 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 and, uh, and luckily, you know, it's not going to hurt you. You just, you know, you lose maybe uh, two weeks of the growing season or four weeks of the growing season, but you're not oh. going to have your 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 crop destroyed. Got it. And now the twenty-five thousand acres is that owned by Hemp Inc. or is this farmers that you'll be able to grow on their land? No, ninety percent of that, ninety-nine percent of that is farmers that we work with. I um, we rent the fifty-five acres of land next to our plant, and the five acres that I'm on, we own that. So other than that, it's all um, working with the local farmers, just like we've been doing for the last three years with uh, Canaf. And now, are they? Opposed to growing hemp instead of canaf, do they see the history of the country and see this as a great opportunity, or are they afraid that they're now growing a crop that at least at one time was illegal? No, and it, it's both. The guys that we work with closely, I they are you know just totally into it. You know, one of the one of the co-ops uh, that we have an eastern. Um, North Carolina, the one of the members of that co-op is actually on the hemp commission. So, you know, and he's and you know, it's that that's the ruling body of hemp in North Carolina. So, a lot of the farmers are are jumping into it, and then a lot of farmers are on defense because they say, well, you know, it's new crop, and how much can you make? And there's no rules on how much you can make yet. What do you pay the farmer? I mean, it's all over the board. Now, I pay the farmer more than anyone else. I'll give you an example. One guy is paying the farmer 70, 50 and 75 cents a percentage point. That means if it's 10% CBDs times 50 cents. Another guy is paying about $1.20. I do a rev share of whatever the market is and give 60% to the farmer. So I figure $4 is the worst it'll be. So that's two forty, right? Six times uh yeah. Uh, two six right? six sixty percent of four dollars is yeah, two three twenty whatever 
No, sixty percent of four boxes like two twenty. Two forty maybe. Okay. It's too late for me to get involved in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm good. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty close, Bruce. Right. So that's like almost twice as much as the, the other guy. And and and, and for six percent in the farmer's favor. Because I'm an advocate for the small family farmer. The small family farm makes twenty-two thousand dollars a year here in North Carolina. What if I prove my model out with this cloning room, the greenhouse of five thousand plants on five acres, and I really do make a half a million dollars? It's yeah. it's going to change everything. Now the truth is, the truth is it's a million and a half bucks. But if I say something that crazy, or, or that sounding like that crazy, it'll look at me like I have two heads. Um, so I toned right. it down to a half a million. That's good enough. To get everybody to move back to the farm if they can make half a million dollars a year on five acres. Yeah, that I'm I'm looking across the street at five acres, Galen. Stace, you ready to <laughs> build something across the street? <laughs> and and then the truth is, you can make that same half million dollars on two and a half acres. All you do is you increase your clones, so you just you sell more clones. Barn, you have a bigger barn. Yeah. Yeah, we just and any room called you know no windows. You you have to control the lights, yep. just just like any indoor grow. But think about how the beauty of clones. You don't have to mess. You don't have to grow grow them up. You don't have to trim them. You don't have to dry them. You don't have to worry about you know the pests eating them. And out of every hundred growers out there, here's the numbers. And this has gone on for forty years in California, whether it was legal or illegal. It's still been going on. Um, Ninety people don't want to mess with clones. They'd rather pay for the clones and rather than try and grow themselves, and 10 of the 100 will decide that cloning is a good business and go into it. So the cloners will always have you know, that 90% of the people who are growing still wanting to buy from them. Makes sense. And the cloning doesn't deplete anything in the CBD that you can produce That's from the hemp or That's a good question, anything, Bruce, because I know in cannabis – the more you clone, it can see some people increase the THC when they clone pot plants, and some people it ends up getting weaker, like we've seen at our New Jersey dispensaries. How's that work in your you know, this is one well, we don't know yet because um it's too new, you know. Right. Uh, because I do know that if you cannot if you clone a mother plant and you clone that clone and you clone that clone by the third generation Something bad has happened. I don't know what that is, but you don't want to clone past three generations. Uh, and then, you know, we're going to switch over. We're on the cutting edge of all, all the stuff that's happening. Uh, when you're involved in a fast-growing industry in the world, uh, and CBD being the fast-growing segment of the fast-growing industry in the world, everyone's getting into it. So tissue culture, you know, is, prob- is, is probably the next thing. And that's not yeah. rocket science. That's like nobody knows how to do it. They've been doing tissue culture with other plants for ages. It's like they've been doing clones with other plants for ages. So, so everybody's rushing. Yeah, and it's amazing to see everyone rush. I don't care who you are. The the guys that make uh, dehumidifiers, they want to use those, sell you those to help you dry. Um, the extraction technologies are, are are coming out newer and newer and bigger and bigger ones all the time. It's really fascinating. To me, what's so neat about this industry is that the hippies, the gorilla growers, the uh, the businessmen, the bankers now, and every, and farmers are all working together to have this industry emerge. Now they're doing it because they're making money for the most part, but they're all still working together, and that's sort of 
unusual to see that in an industry. It sure is. And now you you live in North Carolina. You live in this, or your your uh, at least is located in North Carolina, the state that has Tobacco Road. How difficult is it for you guys in hemp with the big players that are still in tobacco probably lobbying against you? Uh, they're not. Okay. They're not. First of all, Alliance Tobacco, which I heard – I don't know. They're, 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 I heard they bought Reynolds and they bought Marlboro. So they're, they're or they merge with them or, or 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 vice versa. They're big. They just invested twenty million dollars in an extractor operation, and they're running around offering the farmers deal. This is big tobacco. They're jumping into it. They're not trying to stop us. They're trying to plead yeah. with us. How do we how do we get into business? Another example, one hour away from my plant, there's a tobacco manufacturer. And he wants to – we've already sent him samples to see if, it can, if he can work with it. He wants to do a brand of half tobacco, half hemp to sell in Europe because that's where, that's where it really took off, the smoking of hemp. It took off in Europe uh, about a year ago big time. I mean they opened up one dispensary in Italy. They said they had 1,000 people an hour coming by. They had to put up barricades, and they had to shut down their website because every 15 seconds they were getting a sale, and they couldn't handle it. And now, now, now you'll see um, this brand new trend. I mean, and and again, what do you pay the farmer? Is my sixty percent too much? It probably is. It's it's a bunch. But you know what? I want the small farmer to make money, and I want them to make it off of hemp. And the, the big companies, they don't need to gouge the small farmers like the, like the tobacco companies did. You know, uh, it's horrible what they do. You know. The farmers, the farmers is the foundation of our nation. It's our food supply. It's our children's yeah. nutrition. It's everything, and we've neglected the farmer. So, you know, after my movie comes out, and after the end or the TV series, and people want to know what what do I do? Because you have this whole generation wants to follow me, do what I do, move out to the land, move out to nature, grow hemp and grow your own homes, and that's just a wholesome thing for America to do. And you know what'll happen next? Okay, All right. a lot of things will happen next, but I'll tell you. Do you know what the precursor to the American Industrial Revolution? Now, the American Industrial Revolution came out with you know the light bulb, the, the car, the airplane. It was an incredible time of Cotton invention gin. and creativity. What's that? Cotton gin. The cotton gin, the decorticator, everything. Well, the precursor was the Homestead Act. And no one ever put this together. I some guy who got a PhD who interpreted those books that I'm I bring series of fresh where I got my idea from. In his PhD, he was saying the pre no in a lecture, not his PhD in a lecture. In his lecture he said there's three small tsunami farms in, in Europe. I mean in Russia. They produce ninety eight percent of all potatoes, sixty seven percent of all berries, fifty five percent of all cheese and milk. On the most marginal lands, they outproduce big agribusiness, showing us once again that we do everything perfectly in this world perfectly backwards. Okay, so, um, uh, so anyways, he said the the precursor was the Homestead Act, where everyone in America who wanted it got 40 acres and a mule, and they got to give, get their own farms for free by the government, and that just spurred this incredible amount of creativity. You know, when you're out in nature, you're more creative. You're more inventive. 
And so I believe that the kid, what I'm doing with women and children, village kids community, veteran village kids community, friends and family kids community, you know, or you know, children, orphan children's kids community, is going to foster an enormous amount of creativity, and we're going to create a new clean and green industrial American revolution, all spearheaded by hemp. I love it, Bruce, and we got a couple of minutes left, so I got some questions I want to get to you that I think are important questions for people to hear. And uh, first question I have for you is the 85,000-square-foot facility in Spring Hope, North Carolina. When do you believe that will be complete? Well, the mill uh, is complete now since August 1st. Uh, the decorder cater is in no rush. Here's why. I, it was taking a long time. The decorder cater takes the fiber off, and it takes the center of the core of the plant, and it takes it in two separate directions. So you get okay. fiber, you get core, then we take the core and we grind it up. So one day, not knowing anything, I innocently asked, can we grind up the whole plant, David, the guy who's building the plant? Forget the decortication. What would happen if we ground the whole thing up? Because that just seemed easier and quicker. And he says, I don't know. I'll never try. I have never tried it. He had this giant friggin' machine, so he had no need to try. He tried it. The product, the lost circulation fuel, actually works better with the fiber in it. So now I'm faced with this dilemma. So I'm just grinding it all up, you know, for, for since August 1st. For you know, I've got millions and millions of pounds in inventory, you know, about to be sold. So at fibers, I get 50 cents a pound. Lost circulation material, I get with the fiber ground up in it, I get two dollars a pound. Economically, it's not worth it. It's better for me to grind up the fiber together. However, I don't like to start something and not finish it. So that. The corticator is 90% done, and, um, and and after we get a few sales under our belt with the law of circulation material, and I'm going to circle back around and finish that just because I want to show what you can make with hemp. And we got some prestige accounts, you know, Mercedes, Benz, BMW, and Volvo Truck. They all use – and Priuses, they all use hemp in their – in a lot of components in that car. So a couple of prestige accounts would never hurt, could that will not, won't hurt my company, and I will circle back around and finish that, although it's not critical for our business plan, especially with the fact that I've got 18, probably 14 million, we probably already ground up for, but let's call 15 million pounds of canaf in inventory right now. We just got done harvesting uh, another million or two million pounds. You know, we just, we just paid the guy today for, <laughs> for his harvest. So um, – so, so when it will be done, um, there's no super rush. I'm going to do it just to do it so we can, you know, I'm doing it for the cause, not for the economics. And I would say by the end of this year, you know, right, we'll be producing fiber. Uh, you know, I've been following you and your company for a while, and, and what I see most of the bashers say and I'd love you to kind of give people your side of this. What do you say to the people who don't think that there's any proven sales besides you selling shares? Like I see a lot of people say that that are anti-Bruce Perlowin, that oh, he, he can't prove sales of anything but shares of hemp ink. Okay. First of all, Bruce Perlowin has not sold any shares in over three years, my own personal shares. All right. So that's not happening. Right. Give them away. The second thing is – Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I do. Okay. I 
but um, and I I haven't done that that either. I'm doing that with new companies. I learned the trick. Don't use my. Yeah, I can use other companies to share to do that with. But um, uh, proven sales. Yes, there is a proven sale. We've sold two truckloads, and they've been shipped, and it's actually uh, the the revenue for the first one should be on the books. And the second one, um, we're just waiting for that check to come in. That was from the Permian Basin. We're doing a lot of drilling right now. And, you know, it's like listening to these guys talk, and I'm living this. Right? First of all, I own more shares. I'm the major shareholder in the company. So my agenda is to make that stock go up. It's just self-serving, right? And I haven't sold any for two, three years. So the best thing for me is to get that stock up over a dollar and, and I'll be a happy camper. I, it's like a little kid in the back of a seat jumping up and down saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I, you have the biggest companies on the planet Earth, the oil companies. Those are our customers. A target customer would be Penex, who spends $40 million a month on lost circulation material. Saudi Aramco, the Saudi Arabian uh, oil company, they wanted to do a deal with this this material last time the plant was running, $1.2 million a month for five years. Penex wants a 10-year contract. So the sales cycle for them to make the decision to change their entire rigging to use this new, more effective LCM and it is, right? We're the only natural alternative to LCM in the market compared to all the co- chemical concoctions or cheap, uh, like paper, ground up paper or walnut shells that works really, really well at half the price. So the sales cycle is, is like a six month cycle. They, once they want a product and they test it in their lab. Then they do a live well drill and they'll buy five to 7,000 pounds. So we've sold two, five to 7,000 pounds to do two live well drills. After the live well drill, then they put their order in. So it takes a while to get these guys, but we did not build this plant to ship you know, pallet loads. We built this plant to ship multiple truckloads as orders, and the multiple truckload order just takes a little bit of time to get there. I mean, we're there now. We've got plenty of inventory. You know, Thank God, because the first order we get will be so big, it will eat up every bit of inventory we have in super sacks, and then we'll expand the capacity. Although we can do plenty right now, but you know it's easy to expand. Uh, and and you know proof's in the pudding. When the sale happens and it's a good, and it's going to be a big one, then what are they going to say? You know what they're going to say? He's not selling enough. It's only He's only selling ten million a month, right? right. <laughs> uh, see, haters so, will hate Bruce, so keep doing what you're doing, man. Yeah, and. You know, I can't. You can't pay attention to them. I mean, they're you know a bunch of guys who are who are never give you the real names, right? So if they give you the real names, I would sue the heck out of them just to, to you know. Cause, look, a guy can't bash me for four years. Not when I got his daughter pregnant, I, you know, his nine-year-old daughter pregnant. You know, what kind of lunatic bashes you for four years? I mean. I didn't get his daughter pregnant. I didn't steal his wife. He didn't. Even if he lost a little bit of money on the stock, that's not enough to drive you for four years. He's being paid by the shorters. Yep. Okay. That's usually yeah. when people are bashed. Just like when people are pumping, it's the same thing. When they're pumping, it's because they want the price to go up. When they're bashing, it's because they want the price to go down. So that is just the world, the penny world that we live in, Bruce. So, and listen, here's what I can tell you. 
You know what those guys aren't trying to do? Help change the world into a better place. Yeah, right. By doing their bashing. So I'm I'm way more of a fan of Bruce Perlowin than your bashers. So man, loved having you on, Bruce. We are yeah, talking, good talking to, to you, Bruce. CEO of Hemp Inc. And if you follow his history, known as the King of Pot, we didn't really get to talk back more about your smuggling days. We had a whole two hour episode where that's all we talked about. But Bruce, would love to have you back on. And people who are interested in hemp, go to hempinc.com. Uh, BrucePerlowin.com or follow him on Twitter. He's at Bruce Perlowin. No, him. not Twitter. Not Twitter. Facebook. Oh. I'm the only CEO in the history of the world that does a one-minute video update on everything we're doing. So we're really transparent. And the other thing about the haters, we do a First Friday tour every month. If you're a shareholder, you can come and tour the plant, see for yourself, you know, and or go to Bruce Perlowin's Facebook page and see what's happening, uh, you know, and I do that literally, and I've done it for the last two years, so you can actually scroll down and see a lot of stuff uh, that we've done up to this point and what we're doing now. I've seen the plant change in the couple of years that I've been following you. So, Yeah, I, I was real happy. I mean, we're, we're just cranking away, and all we need to do at this point is what we're doing. Grind up bales, put them in super sacks, and make the sales. All right. Well, I'm going to keep following you, Bruce, and come back on Potstock Radio as things progress with Hemp Inc. Thank you again for coming on tonight. And uh, good luck in saving the world. Yeah, keep (laughs) keep changing the world for the better. Uh, I I can't Uh, help it. It's in my DNA. (laughs) Keep doing it. We love it. All right. Thank you, and thank you for having me on again. No problem. Thank you, and again for listeners. That is CEO of Hemp Incorporated, and uh, also, like I said, look up his history. He is the king of pot, one of the world's, or country's at least, largest drug sm- or cannabis smugglers. Never smuggled anything else. Let's <laughs> clarify that. Let's clarify that for him. <laughs> All right, so now let's go from the history of cannabis to the future of cannabis and welcome – Michael Kramer, although he goes by Mike, he is the co-founder and CEO of 420 Blockchain. How are you tonight, Mike? I'm good. How are you doing? Very good, man. Glad to have you on Potstock Radio. And for people listening... Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yep. People listening again, uh, he's the CEO and co-founder of 420 Blockchain. You can check them out at 420blockchain.cloud. And follow them on Twitter at 420 underscore blockchain. So, Mike, I want to start with something I read on your website where what 420 blockchain is doing is uniting cannabis states, government agencies, banks, medical researchers, EFPs, suppliers, growers, transporters, patients, and consumers. Man, that's a large scope of people and really the entire cannabis industry. So start by explaining to people how blockchain and specifically 420 blockchain is the glue uniting all of those uh, parts of the industry. Sure. So the biggest thing we looked at when we started 420 was a fragmented industry. You know, one of the things I did when I was lending for into marijuana businesses on the private side before getting into the technology end was I noticed there was no real transparency. There was no actual supply chain or any systematic ways of doing business. Everything was fragmented. You would go from, you know, California to Colorado. Nothing was the same. 
And I just really thought to myself, how can we get marijuana? You know, at that time, I was a big medical marijuana advocate. How can we get this product to streamline more? And to do it, we had to go big. So we had to look at the entire ecosystem of cannabis and say, how can we link everything together? And, you know, at first I was thinking, you know, Jeff Bezos, something like Amazon. You know, how can we do it in a, a cloud-based system that would tie everything together? And out of pure fate, I met Sean Caputo of Augusta High Tech. We sat down for five minutes, talked, and it was blockchain. And that's where it really all started when we looked and said, we can take your idea, we can use it on blockchain, which is not, you know, so many people think blockchain cryptocurrency. My favorite term is blockchain, no crypto. Um, you know, we just use a different type of system of blockchain and let everybody be permission-based and tie into the chain like a big spider web um, is the easiest way to think of it. So most people who are listening here equate blockchain to cryptocurrency. Explain. I know you said that it's the you know, no crypto blockchain. Explain to people listening the difference between blockchain and cryptocurrency. Or sure, so cryptocurrency is a digital token. Um, I'll talk about the easiest one, which would be the Ethereum base, which so many companies are now using for their their initial coin raises or their ICOs. Um, a lot of people want to go to the peer to peer network, so a shared network. Um, the issue that I saw in that when we started 420 was. You don't want two dispensaries having to verify each other's information. If I was a grower and I'm now selling to 10 different dispensaries, I don't mm. want to share the information with everyone. Um, yeah. You know, what we looked at was we looked at a centralized. So many people say blockchain decentralized. No, blockchain can be centralized using a hyperledger fabric um, that we use. Augusta built that for us, their own framework. We run on top of Google and we use a centralized ledger. So it's permission-based. So the example I'll give, if I'm the cultivator or the grower and I'm dealing with 10 um, individual dispensaries, we'll have, yeah. we use what are called smart contracts. So those contracts don't allow everybody to see the business. For example, if I was selling you cannabis at $1,000 a pound, you know, the next person at 1500 no one's going to know what's going on. We're using an automated system, artificial intelligence, analytics to do that. You know, so many people get confused with blockchain because they right away think Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ripple, which is a shared network where things have to be validated, you know, by the other users. That's not the case when you're using a hyperledger fabric. Got it. Because I thought I'm transparency was the big part well, of it. Transparency is a big part of what blockchain offers, but it's permission based. So people have to have yes. permission. Like, for instance, Ethereum, it's public code. So anybody, oh, absolutely. Can, anybody can see all I mean, of the code in Ethereum. So I, I get why. So, That's scary. So that's the easiest thing. Absolutely. I mean, as a business, I wouldn't want all my information out there. I mean, just no. today, yeah, we, um, sense, I, I read an article. I read an article this morning that talked about one of the largest cryptocurrency investors was hacked. Something happened. Um, you know, he lost over $2 million. Where did it go? Nobody knows where it went. Nobody really has an answer who hacked him. I mean, I hope for his sake they find it, but let's go a step further. The IRS came out today and said less than half of a percent of people who made money in cryptocurrency didn't pay taxes. But yeah. I, I can't get that because everything's public. So you didn't pay taxes on the money you made on Bitcoin on the swing, but now in turn, it's a shared ledger. Everybody's going to see, hey, Mike Kramer 
he made a million dollars this year. Well, yeah. why don't you pay taxes on the million? Hmm. So that's an open network, which is kind of a little scary. Um, I'm not going to really bash cryptocurrency. Um, I think I'd fight the world if I did. It's just we looked at it and said, hey, we don't need you know, to use that type of platform, um, right. that type of blockchain for what we want to do. Gaia. Do you see a need for cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency in the cannabis space? Like, do you see value just not with what you're doing? Uh, I think that's a real open-ended question. I, yeah. <laughs> All right, so let me ask um, you this way. Thoughts on, like, Paragon. That's the one that everyone's talking about that had some rappers put some money into it. What are your thoughts on Paragon? Um, I mean, I, I guess essentially you could say Paragon coin. I'll even say Budbo could really be a competitor. I'd rather, you know, let's work together. You know, let's not butt heads and go against each other. I know they, from what I understood, they raised a bunch of money to try to develop a blockchain. The one thing we did, we did the opposite. Um, we self-funded, you know, the couple people involved. We built the blockchain to stay quiet. We actually have a fully functioning blockchain been tested. We're now taking people on the, basically the open beta. We just wanted to make a few changes. Uh, we're selecting those as we speak. Um, we're Paragon Coin, Budbo. I think they're still in the process of trying to develop it. So I'm not sure how that's going to work. Yeah. The, the basis that they looked at was to say, hey, listen, let's, let's come up with a way that we can take payments because of the banking issue. I mean, I wish, you know, I've, I've been to Washington twice up on Capitol Hill talking about our blockchain. I wish I had the power to get, you know, people like, you know, uh, the said, the, um, well, I don't want to say Sessions. I really don't want to talk about him. But um, Mnuchin to say, hey, listen, let's, let's start taking the money from cannabis. I mean, it is a definite issue that there's bags of cash out there. Um, yeah. I, I'm still a fan of the U.S. dollar. Me too, but nobody wants to trade in it you know like the fact that it's an industry that revolves around cash when they're trying to get rid of a black market it's like you're asking for trouble (laughs) bank it you are i mean i i I can't believe you know i i can't believe when i'm in some places you see literal garbage bags full of cash and then you wonder how is there not going to be crime even though cannabis is this amazing medicine and we now see how many great um, effects and, and, and how many things it can do for, you know, not just, you know, people with cancer, but children all around and nobody wants to allow it to be banking. It was one of the things we looked at to say, Hey, let's give a true transparency. You know, let's, let's say every other business is run one way and banks take the money. My push has always been, if we could show you where that money came from, would you take it? And we've had right. banks say, well, yeah, we lean more towards it. So if yeah. you had a dispensary or somebody, let's say our ecosystem, you know, I think the Southern Coalition of uh, Cannabis Growers in California talked about, you know, putting an auditor in every, every facility. And my response was, that's great to create jobs, but our technology will do it for you without human error. So you and can then really not show, hey, human error, Mike. You know that would get corrupt as hell. <laughs> you know, well, I mean, the human error part. We could, <laughs> we could talk about it. Um, you know, I won't name names, but there was over a million. I heard a million dollars was missing once 
worth of concentrate in Colorado. Nobody could find it, but six months later, it, it made its way onto the books. You know, the one great thing about blockchain is once it's there, it's there. You know, it's an irrefutable ledger. So if a transaction occurs, if a cultivator is going to ship concentrate, you know, or he, he's going to take his product and ship it, it's entered into the ledger. It, it's irrefutable. It can't be changed. You can never change it. So there's no way for something you're missing unless somebody's blatantly, you know, trying to corrupt the system. You know, you have to have a trusted system and um, an irrefutable ledger. So that, that'll be the biggest one that, you know, that, that I see the advantage of. And now, Mike, blockchain, you know, we're hearing about it recently, but it's been around, correct me if I'm wrong, for over 20 years. Why are we just hearing about it, and how many industries have been using it for the past 20 years? Well, you know, I, I partnered with Augusta High Tech, and uh, they were around since 2009. You know, they were looking at it. You know, Sean is, is a great innovator, the co-founder over there. He's my co-founder here at 420. And, you know, we briefly talked about how blockchain's been around for, you know, years, 20, 30 years, some people say. It's not new. It's just the, it's what's catching on now. I think the cryptocurrency, um, you know, the Bitcoin is what gave it its publicity. Um, as soon as Bitcoin started to take off, I, I mean, a great story. 2010, I, I moved with my family from Pennsylvania to Florida, and I had a guy tell me the grocery store, for $5,000, you could buy 10,000 of these tokens it's called Bitcoin. So I said, you want me to give you $5,000 for a fake currency that doesn't exist? Wow. And um, I said, look, I said, you're a great guy. can't do it. Well, again, I don't knock cryptocurrency. That guy, I see him driving down the street all the time in a different Ferrari or different Lamborghini, has the nicest parties, gives a lot of money to charity. You know, he was a smart one. So I yep. think Bitcoin is what really got cryptocurrency to explode. Mm, or I should say I cryptocurrency agree. blockchain. I apologize. I think that's no, no, very agree. noticeable for so many people. And I'm with you. I knew about – I was told about Bitcoin when it was less than a penny, and I went, what? That, that's uh, yeah. so stupid. And then it went to <laughs> 700 bucks, and I was like, ah, look, I missed it. <laughs> now, oh, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I had a friend that did the same thing, said, hey, Mike, I think we should buy this Bitcoin. It's it's five $600. I said, no, nah, I can't buy it. That's crazy. I said – I don't think it'll ever hit a thousand. He said, all right, well, it hit 1200. I said, you know what? I'm going to buy some. And uh, I played it safe. I got out at like 7,000. He kept telling me, you shouldn't get out. You shouldn't get out. Well, he rode it to the top and I don't know when he got out, but he's another guy driving nice cars. So he did the right thing. He could have rode it back down to be close to that same $7,000 you sold at. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. So what other, do you know of any um, other industries that were using it? prior to cryptocurrency? Yeah, I like, don't. That I couldn't speak intelligently on. I, I'd be grasping at straws. I just, I've heard it from many people that it's, it's been around. Um, you know, I know companies, um, they say big companies, Walmart, things of that nature, have been using the Hyperledger type technology, just not with blockchain. Um, I mean, I've heard, obviously, they are going to blockchain. I know Augusta High Tech, my technology partner, they're building blockchains for Fortune 100 companies. Uh, I believe they're one of the only ones here in the U.S. They've got five offices across the world, over 506, probably close to 600 employees. You know, they're building products for big companies, which obviously I can't talk about. But we're seeing a lot of big businesses go to the hyperledger type blockchain, not the you know 
uh, Ethereum-based blockchain that you see out there. And I was going to ask you, when you see all of those coins that are out there, you know, there's probably a thousand of them now. Are they mm-hmm. all using Ethereum's blockchain, or, or is? From I mean, what I understand, yes, a lot of them are Ethereum-based coins. Um, it's the, it's, I believe it's an open platform that they're using. It's just a lot of people. What they do is what you call most a use case. They would say, "Hey, here's a problem, and here's a solution." Now let's go out and raise money. And they're raising money. I have a, you know, we have a guy um, who works with us, Brandon Hempton. A lot of people know him. He's, you know, um, big social media guy. Was involved big in cryptocurrency. And I couldn't believe when he told me he was somewhere. And there were all these companies out there that didn't even have a product, but were raising money. And it just made me say, I think we're doing the right thing. We stayed quiet, flew under the radar, and let's actually build a working product. And then we'll go out and push it to market. So and uh, it's, it's uh, a lot of people are doing that. Correct me if I'm wrong. You used to be a cop. I was, uh, you know, that shocked some people. Uh, I worked in law enforcement for about 12 years. And sometimes people are like, Oh my God, you're a cop. I don't want to, I don't want to smoke weed with you. I don't want to get in the marijuana business. Uh, you know, I think better I tell everybody. I was a cop for one reason, Ponch and John. I loved chips every day of my life as a kid growing up. I remember sitting with my grandmother watching those guys save the world. But um, you learn real quick that you're not Ponch and John. There's a lot of political nonsense. A lot of things go on. And one of those things for me was I couldn't stomach somebody saying, you have to arrest this guy because he's got a couple joints on him. I I, I wanted to be a cop to, to save the world. Um, I didn't want to be well, a cop to arrest a guy that, that had two joints, you know? The people who say, I wouldn't want to be in business, you know, in the cannabis business with someone who used to be a cop are idiots because it's just like you want your accountant to have worked for the IRS. It's in the same oh. way, I would love my, you know, blockchain security. It's really what we're talking about is security of information. I would love my person to be a former policeman so i saw that as a positive thing i mean i thought so i mean i thought i've always been a trustworthy person um it's just it's always worked for me you know one thing i say it's funny when when you're in washington you know so many people say well why are you in washington how are you perceived i mean i'm a big guy six foot five bald head tattoos and you know you can't see some of them in a suit but everybody always looks at me and you get this weird look that they say, well, you're the marijuana blockchain guy. I am, but I'm not the guy that was a hippie or he, you know, it's not just perception because unfortunately so many people have this negative perception of what people in the marijuana industry are. And realistically, in my opinion, 99% of the people in the marijuana industry are amazing people. Just, you know, we have this tendency to judge people, you know, judge a book by its cover, which is horrible, but you know, it's just, you have to just talk to people and it's always worked good for me to say, I was a guy that was a cop, like it or not, cannabis is here to stay. It's going to be legal, um, you know, in, in every state, it's going to be federally legal. It's going to happen. Let's just put regulation in place because nobody is making gin in their bathtub. We have clear cut regulations in tobacco in, in alcohol. Let's put those same regulations in place and treat marijuana like the legit business that it can be. That's all we want to do. So, 
you know, that's how I try to always attack it in the conversation. And now, Mike, I know you've been down, you mentioned being down in Washington. Uh, are you seeing states moving towards requiring blockchain in for cannabis companies? Or is that just something you believe smart companies are going to move to? Uh, well, I believe both. Um, yes, there are states. Colorado wrote some legislation. Uh, it was earlier this year. I was out there to talk with one of their state senators about wanting to explore blockchain technology for cannabis. And we reached out because in their, and I'm not going to quote the bill. I'm sure I'd get it wrong. In their bill, what they said was they wanted to explore how blockchain would work in the cannabis industry. They didn't want it to replace their standard ERP system, which is metric that they use. They wanted it to really be track and trace for their internal revenue purposes to be able to, you know, see where the money's going because, I don't believe this number, but they said they had 55 to 60% backdoor sales or going out to the black market. So they were losing that tax revenue. I think that number is pretty high to be honest. Um, But they said they wanted blockchain. So we reached out and said, if you want it, we have it. We have it built. It's functioning. You don't have to pay anybody to build it. We're going to run it. We'll give you the ability to see permission-based again, to be able to see what's going on with the revenue purpose, with the tax dollars, and the biggest thing with the compliance. You know, we're able to allow permission-based contracts in the smart contract to follow the compliance end for the state regulations. Yeah, man, I think that would be your money. If you could get the states in first, everyone else would kind of have to follow suit. Like, Well, I mean, in, in the utopia of Mike, yeah. <laughs> in the perfect world in my head, Absolutely. Um, I met with somebody once and they said, they gave me great advice. And they said, don't focus on hitting that grand slam home run. Don't just go to the state and hit the home run. Let's get the first base. Let's get a couple singles. You know, we can still score runs. And I thought, you're right. We can still do that. So the home run for us would be, um, I won't say we're talking right now with two states about that. We're in very heavy contract talks with two states where they're saying, hey, listen, we want 420 blockchain to be our mandated system. That's, that's the home run for us. But we still look at, you know, other avenues, other ways to make revenue, other partnerships that we're doing. Um, you know, our philosophy is to unite the cannabis industry. We could go out there and try to fight everybody, but I don't know. I like to play nice. Yeah, everyone can win is usually the way to be a winner. Make set something up yeah. that everyone can win in. Yeah, so. absolutely. All right, well, let's get to the real important stuff. Go ahead. Are you having okay, a 420 party on Friday? No. <laughs> no. Maybe a little. Um, hey, if you need your company that, you got 420 blockchain, yeah. Well, there are, I'm sure there are things you're doing. and So, yeah, let's stay ask that question. Go ahead. What's going on in your world, right. 420, Mike? So, 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 remember, so we're a Florida-based company, so we're only medical marijuana here, so we, yeah. we won't be partaking in a 420 party here in Florida, but I think we'll all be traveling to states where we can, i.e. Uh, Colorado, California. So we'll be promoting 420 on 420, enjoying uh, lots of cannabis with other people in the industry in a regulated state where we, we can do that. 
There you go. Beautiful. See, Eric, there was a good answer to my question. All right. And by the way, <laughs> I think whoever it was that said 60% of the cannabis is not mm-hmm. having taxes paid on it in Colorado might not be crazy. And here's the reason why. The extracts are all over the country, and they're all coming from mm-hmm. Colorado and California. Yeah, yeah that's so true. So if they're supplying all of the extracts for the whole country – that probably is half or more leaving the state without having taxes paid. And that also is another reason well, why blockchain should be really important for these states because if everything's on the blockchain, well, it can't disappear into the black market, right? You're 100% right. You know, Colorado's fallen victim of multiple lawsuits, obviously. Other states are suing them sure. and saying, hey, listen, you're a drug state. You know, yeah. people are driving into Colorado, buying marijuana and leaving, coming out. That's going to happen. I think where the real problem comes when people are driving in, manipulating a product, you know, going into places like Chicago, taking half the oil out of canisters, putting it, mixing it with God knows who know what, and That's things right. happen. That's not good. So we look at blockchain and said, hey, listen, if every product was on the blockchain, let's, you know, blockchain is an asset-based system. Yeah. So if every, um, you know, every, let's just say quarter ounce that's on a shelf, it has a, a, an ID number. It has a barcode. If that's in the system, imagine if you and I went to Colorado, go to downtown Denver, fill up a suitcase. We're buying an ounce here, an ounce there. We're buying vape pens. We're buying shatter, everything we can buy. And it, it all has to be barcoded because they're scanning it in their system for inventory purposes. And I show up in Florida and all of a sudden, the cops pull me over, and they find I have this product. Guess how simple it is? They scan it. Boom. Hey, Mike Kramer bought this product yesterday at 9.45 a.m. Here's the bud yeah. tender that sold it to him. Here's the store he bought it in. Right there, you have all your answers right there. You can thwart so many things. One of the, you, the greatest things I thought that we did, and we didn't even push this. We give it to the state to use, Sweetleaf. Great company. Um, I have a good friend that works there in Colorado. He was actually a police officer as well here in in the same area I'm from. Went out there, loved everything about the company, but they had a looping issue. And if nobody knows what looping is, that's basically, I come in, I buy, this is a, you know, there's a little bit issue with with the way the law was written. I believe Colorado changed it. They said you're allowed to buy an ounce. So I would go in and buy an ounce. Some people said it was per transaction. Some people said it was per day. I go in and buy an ounce to come back an hour later, buy an ounce. I'm looping the system. We have the ability to collect data and say, hey, maybe we slide an ID and we don't pull off. Mike Kramer lives at such and such, you know, in Daytona Beach, Florida. What we do is we say, this license has a chain ID number. Let's just call it one, two, three, four for example purposes. I go in, they scan my license when I'm there. Next thing you know, I go try to buy it again. The, the chain automatically recognizes and says, hey, this guy already bought his limit for the day. Now, if I go to a different dispensary and I try to do it, no, he already bought his limit. Now, if I'm going all over the place trying to buy marijuana, it's sending up a red flag. This chain ID number keeps popping up. The person's trying to, you know, basically break the law. So we can thwart that. And that's not even my idea. I think we all know that idea because of methamphetamines. If I go to buy Sudafed in Daytona Beach, I give my driver's license. I fly to California on 420. I have a headache. You can't buy it. And you can't buy Sudafed. You just bought it two days ago in Florida. It's a nationwide system. 
that's putting regulation in, in place. Again, simple business practice. People would argue with me. They'd say we're being invasive. I mean, everybody's scared about privacy with, you know, the big Facebook data breach and, you know, God knows how many other ones. But we have to treat marijuana like every other business and play fair. And, Mike, I read on uh, your website, I think it was, you had a little section that said 420 uh, off the chain. And it was talking about how blockchain can also help with marketing efforts. Just explain, because that I really – I like the idea of it but didn't really understand it. Okay, so I'm going to throw you for a loop. So we originally said let's have our blockchain, and let's say we're going to use some intellectual technology that we have. Let's put it in a mobile app. So we're going to put this into a mobile app, and now, you know, all of us, Eric, you know, you can go to your store and buy marijuana. I go to my store, I buy it. Now I can actually take my app, scan it in, and I can see the life cycle of my marijuana. So I went to Sweetleaf, and you went to Medicine Man, two different dispensaries in Denver. I think they're both great. You went there, and we both get a Girl Scout cookie. We smoke it. And I'm like, well, mine's a little bit different than yours. Well, why is that? I can look at the life cycle. Well, yours was grown on this day, cut on this day, grown in hydroponics. Here's the soil. Here's everything about it. We can put the power back into the consumer's hand. So now the consumer can truly be a connoisseur and say, well, here's why my marijuana is so good if we're smoking it, because you have all the data so we can actually see it. But what we did was we had the ability to partner up with what I think is the best company, obviously next to mine in the marijuana space, which is a bunch of guys at pot.com. When they first came in and I said, you guys own the name pot.com. What's the need here? It's the name. When I sat down with them, when I sat down with these guys, literally immediately I'm like, all right, we're going to scrap our mobile app. Let's partner with you guys. You'll have the mobile app. They offer features that I think companies, Leafly, Weed Maps, they're probably gonna they're probably gonna know who pot.com is real quick. Um, what these guys what are doing is amazing. Let me What's ask that? you this: so Did you ask them how they got that domain? Is that like one of them as the internet was coming around was just like um, <laughs> he grabbed pot or did they um, buy? I um, I'll let Len, their CEO, answer that if you ever talk to him. Um, uh, I believe they acquired it. Because somebody okay. was smart and bought pot.com a long time ago. Sure. Um, yeah. Sure. The name so the name's right great. After, but they right after go ahead. search for chocolate.com and stamps.com on GoDaddy and they weren't available, I'd have been like, What about pot? Holy shit, it's there. <laughs> Someone did it. Yeah, Someone definitely. Did it. And they um, you know, just real quick, they have a huge reveal coming out Friday. Um, they should be ready to go a few weeks after that, probably beginning of May. And they're, what they're doing is great. We teamed up with them. We're going to collect a whole bunch of data. We're going to talk to consumers. They, we have a forum going on on there, but delivery. They have two geniuses working for their company um, that have, you know, service in the delivery business, we'll say, like kind of like uh, Grubhub. And one guy's name is Tom. And what he brought to the table, you know, for, you know, you'd be able to go to pot.com's mobile app, go to the website, order marijuana, but now maybe you, I'm hungry. So get me a cheeseburger. These guys are going to stop and grab you a cheeseburger and have your marijuana and deliver it. It's a genius really? idea. 
So yeah, as they're going to put a delivery management system in that's going to just it, they're going to they're going to thwart everybody. I'm so excited to, that we were given the opportunity to partner up with them. Yeah, that's an amazing so, idea right there. Deliver your kids. <laughs> it is, and I mean, I mean, how easy is it? It's, I mean, no matter what you're doing, how easy is it to remember pot.com? Um, yeah. It's got a great logo. I mean, I love wearing their hats. I mean, they've got some good ambassadors. It, again, they just have the most amazing team, and we're very fortunate that we hit it off with them. And again, we we really looked at the off the chain aspect and said, hey, this will be our mobile app. We were getting ready to, to, to release it, and these guys just, we met at the right time, and it, it was like the match made in heaven. We're very excited I'm, to be with them. I, I got to be honest with you, I haven't heard much that you said since I realized <laughs> at some point I might be able to get my pizza and my weed delivered from the same part. Like, how often have you smoked weed and not wanted pizza? Or not ever. Pizza? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Man, that is amazing. Here's 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 what I think. I think if the three of us are all together hanging out, everybody's gonna want something different. So maybe on pizza, you know, maybe you want cheese fries. Maybe somebody wants something from Outback. Maybe I just want ice cream from Dairy Queen. Um, just the ability that, that they're gonna put that into place is is amazing. It is just I'm I think it's a game changer. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> I don't. The guy's making a ton of money in tips. Come on, he's doing this great. So, they're, they're, you know, again, I'm just going to speak real high level. What they're doing, they have an amazing team. We're really happy to be partnered with them. They're doing a big reveal on 420. You know, so pot.com is their landing page, and I hate to, like, I'm not just promoting their business, but uh, you know, we're partners now, and I'm very excited for what they're doing and what what's to come. But with that mobile app, that's, we'll get back to marketing. You know, nobody's collecting data. I'll argue this one all day long. There's companies out there that say they're getting it, but the data's altered. It's not true. Everybody's having an issue. In the blockchain, we have true real-time data. Imagine being able to collect data for multiple purposes. Uh, we are HIPAA compliant, so, you know, we can collect that data. Let's really look at why are people smoking cannabis? You know, we can all say the hundred reasons why, but where's, where is the data? It's all over the place. If we're taking the data and collecting it in the mobile application on the website, we're pushing it back into the chain. Now everybody can use that. Not only are researchers able to use it, lab testing facilities, the growers. How about when we talk about projections? You know, if everybody's polling in and saying, hey, listen, there's all this information coming out of this mobile app with data. Here's what we're doing. Now growers can say, well, why are we growing OG Kush and we can sell more Star Killer? Why, why not more Green Crack? And, you know, we can allow forecasting and you can have real-time legitimate data that we're collecting. Um, so now you're going to see the marketing aspect. Everybody's going to want to market on this mobile app. Why wouldn't you? Because everybody's on the app. You know, we have a geolocating thing like every other company. You and I get off the plane in 420 in Denver, and I'm like, all right, man, well, Green Crack, my favorite sativa, wonder where I can go. Right, right away when I open up the app, geolocating is there. Now I know where to go. I know how to get it delivered. I can even read all about it on the mobile app. Who's got the best? Who gets the best reviews? And we're able to take all that information. We don't have to push it anywhere else but our own blockchain. That's awesome. That is incredible. Yeah. And listen, now, I'm really hungry for pizza that. now that we're talking about it. I know. <laughs> Got a couple of minutes left, and I want to know about patents. Do you have any intellectual property 
out there on your blockchain. I don't even know if that's possible. Right. We do. So we were, I, I was quite amazed. Uh, one day Sean and I were sitting down and we said, let's go get some lunch. And uh, I said, you know what, Sean would be great if we could patent this. And he said, I was thinking the same thing. I said, somebody's had to have been smarter than the two of us and tried to patent it. So we hired an attorney. We do the research. The attorney calls me like frantically going, you're not going to believe this. Nobody tried to patent cannabis and blockchain. I said, do it. So we did secure the, you know, we're right now currently patent pending. And that gives you a year basically hold your place. So I can tell you that, yes, we do have the patent pending for anything with cannabis and blockchain. So that may shock some people, Paragon coin, Budbo, you know, um, it, they may be an infringement. I'm not an attorney, so I can't say, but we have that patent. So if you're using blockchain technology and we were smart, we made sure we include a cryptocurrency in every aspect in there. If you're using blockchain technology in the cannabis space, we have the patent or the patent pending. And I'm pretty confident we have great attorneys. We'll get the patent. Now it'll take about two years, they say, but our place is held. Nobody can get in front of us. It's well, just us. I'm, I'm a little bit of a patent nerd. So, so okay. just so I understand, so you guys filed, when you say like your place in line, you filed the provisional patent, which then means you have yes. one year to file the full utility patent. How long do you have Correct. left? To file the phone. Um, oh, I think 10 months. Okay. Sean and I just did this in February. We, we sat down, had the conversation, reached out to our attorney, and the attorney's response was, oh, give us a week or two. Three hours later, he got the, I got the phone call on my way home from our office, and he said, Mike, we need to jump on this because nobody did it. I said, are you kidding me? He said, no, we did it. He said, we're going to do it again, another patent search. Nobody did it. I said, okay, do it. Doesn't matter what it costs because that's worth its weight in gold. And um, so we, as you said, we have the provisional patent, which secures our place, you know, saying, hey, if anybody wants to now file a patent, we already have the place held. We have one year to submit. And I think it was like February 1st, February 2nd, we did it. So they're already working on a ton of stuff. I get weekly updates with what's going on. And uh, we're, we're very confident. As a person with a couple of patents, I just wish you luck because, man, it's easier to get them than it is to defend them. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, be careful because there's – they may have done searches, but there's got to be some prior art out there or could be some prior art out there. So just make sure you have the best intellectual property attorneys you need because this is something that could be huge. You need well, the best – I'll tell you this. Property. These guys are making more money than I make in a salary. I can promise you that. So, uh, yeah, well, they all do. Um, they, they, were, they, they were recommended that they're the best. and We're very confident in them. Okay. Um, had multiple meetings. So I definitely appreciate your insight. It's always in the back of my head. So, um, yeah. yeah, we're excited. Awesome. Now, last question for you. You've got an investor's tab on your website. So what investment opportunities are possible with 420 blockchain and who are they available to? Actually, no one. That tab should come off. Um, we, we finished our, we did just a really small investing round and I apologize that that's on there. Uh, they, we may let it up and say, Hey, we may do another investment coming up in the next few months. 
but um, that was it was such a hot topic. As soon as a few people saw it, I mean, we just we had to choose what investors we were taking. Um, you know, obviously partnering up with Augusta, we got a great deal on the blockchain. Um, they are a partner of ours, so they built it, they managed the system for us all in house. We didn't have to outsource anything, and uh, the number was right. I put my money behind it. And just a few investors jumped in really quick and we had a number in mind and we hit that number in about a day and a half. Wow, man, Mike, yeah. it has been great talking to you. And yeah, like, it was very interesting. <laughs> like I said, yeah, my wife knows nothing about blockchain and I can see she's her head. The gears are turning. So yeah, I don't normally like stuff I know nothing about, but <laughs> now no, I know a little bit. And this, makes sense. The easiest thing, and I didn't say it before was, uh, Rick, my Rick is my right hand at 420 and at my lending company. I mean, he helps me out tremendously. Um, Rick said it best. Penicillin is good. Mold is bad. But they're both the same product. You know, I'm, I'm a man. He's a man. But I'm 6'5". He's 5'10". So we're, we're both built on one platform. But we're two yeah. different people. So that's what people yeah. need to get with blockchain. You really have cryptocurrency and then you have blockchain. I like what Rick said to me that cryptocurrency is turning blockchain into a coin but really crypto yes. or blockchain should be or could be used as a vault instead of a coin and right away when he said that i was like that makes so much more sense than how it's been explained to me before right i that, get it yeah. crypto's a coin doesn't have to be blockchain is a vault but man yeah awesome Definitely. all right well mike CEO and co-founder of 420 Blockchain. Check them out, 420blockchain.cloud, or on Twitter, they're at 420 underscore blockchain, one word, and uh, look forward to talking to you more in the future and really excited to what blockchain is going to be for cannabis in the future. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me. You guys have a great evening. All right, you, you too, too Mike. Mike. Have a good one again. That was CEO and co-founder of 420 Blockchain. Michael goes by Mike Kramer. All right, so we had Matt Myrna call in a couple of times. I don't think he remembers how it works. We're like, I'm telling him, like, I see you there. And he's like, all right, I'll call you back in two minutes. I'm like, okay. So then I talked to Mike a little bit more. I see Matt pop in on the in the queue, and now he's gone again. So, Matt, if you happen to be listening, call back, my man. We got 20 minutes. Let's – uh. Come on back, Matt. I love Matt, although he's 50-50. I'm, I'm impressed that he, you know, he's, sometimes he calls in. Sometimes I've called him in the middle of a show, and he's been like, ah, man, sorry. I'm wasted. I can't call in. Like, <laughs> you got to love that guy. I'm like, all right, brother. It happened. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> uh, let's do it. We'll do it again in the future. Listen, you've done your whole radio show wasted before. I have. Not this one. Not this one. Ironically, <laughs> the sports radio show I've done wasted, the Potstock radio I've stayed sober for. All right, here he is. We're finishing the show with a Canadian legend, the guy who I believe is one of the main reasons why medical cannabis was legal in Canada. Look it up online, R versus Myrna. Our buddy, former guest, Matt Myrna. How are you tonight, Matt? No, I'm doing pretty good, pretty good. I'm um, just getting my vape on. You know how it is. It's a, 
I try and wind down at this time of night, so it's uh, rare to get me on doing some media. So thanks for having me. Dude, I appreciate you doing it late. I, I know there's Good to have you time. on, Matt. I know there's been times where it's like, like you said, a little too late, man. I'm, 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 I'm past my uh, comfortable being on the radio time. So thank you for calling in. It's so, literally past yeah. No my morning time. shows ask me anymore. It's odd. Like I get up at like seven o'clock in the morning with the lights and stuff. So it, it's really odd to be like a morning person. Yep. <laughs> and, and now Matt Myrna, for people who don't know, a best-selling author wrote marijuana, uh, marijuana smokers guide. And also, like I was saying when I introduced you, Matt, you're a huge part of cannabis being medically legal in Canada. Just give people who are listening a little bit of a background of how you got entrenched in cannabis. Oh, geez. Well, it's about the seventh anniversary of my court ruling, just to tell you how far back that goes. Um, We just looked it up the other day because it just showed up – on the 11th, 11th of April, so the seventh anniversary of that. And and it's been up until the point of my court case and the court ruling, the government was running a program where you bought cannabis from the government or you grew it yourself. After the court ruling, essentially everything's been privatized. Um, yeah. People get into the program a lot quicker where Health Canada had a lot of delays. Um, and best because of future rulings and most recently we know is Allard that allows growing for yourself so the the program became basically privatized after my court ruling (laughs) And, and, and Matt's not just your average stoner Matt correct me if I'm wrong but you suffer from some serious things that make you need cannabis fibromyalgia, epilepsy scoliosis and brain tumors what yeah, I have a I have a small tumor, yeah, for in the brain there. So how critical is cannabis to you? And what drugs did doctors try and put you on that you've now been able to use cannabis in place of? Um, I've taken a lot of opiates in my life. I had them injected into me at the age of seventeen. Uh I currently only take one medication for my seizure disorder that's carbamazepine. It's at night. Hence the reason I don't do a lot of media at night. Um, and it's, it's completely changed my life. I mean, if you look at my life as it's evolved completely, I mean, I have, I am totally legally disabled. Um, I work, and I'm, I'm not allowed to talk about my work. Um, that's part of the agreement of me doing media is um, I don't talk about my work. But I can tell you that I am fully disabled and without medical cannabis and being able to work in a place where I'm allowed to use medical cannabis, I wouldn't be able to have a job. So that's amazing. If you think of like 15 years where I didn't work, really, yeah. like, I mean, book authoring and stuff. But now, like, man, I put in some long hours some days, bro. So that's the other part of my life. So it's a huge and I, difference. I mean, like, it's night, night and day, man. So yeah. for the fibromyalgia, do you uh, – I, I asked you this because I suffer from that as well. Have you used um, the cannabis oil? Uh, for the for your muscles because I'll tell you what that helps me more than anything that I've ever used the topical rubbing it on oh the topical is great I mean obviously some of the you know I do use the MJ cream myself it's a topical um I vaporize about five grams a day easily so just to put in perspective there maybe a couple dabs from time to time during the day 
Um, but, yeah, I mean, the topical on your sore spots, you know, on those fibro points really helps. So I can definitely agree to that. And, you know, speaking of vape, I saw on your Twitter picture, that's the vape box it looked like from the vapor group that's next to your books. Are you a fan of the vape box or did they just send you one and it ended up in the in your picture? <laughs> Yeah, that's kind of how that one worked with the vape box there. It ended up in a picture. My preferred, yeah. obviously, I'm a, I'm a dex. I mean, nothing can keep up with me when I'm out on the go other than joints, Yeah. Um, to be truthful. And I've tried all the portables, like, just to be there. But, I mean, the I have the desktop, the desktop volcano that sits right beside the uh, my laptop. And then I have a digital volcano in my chill space, that's just next to my PS4, so you can kind of see the priorities in life. Have you, have you gone to the Mighty, the little mini one that's made by the same people that make the volcano? I, I've tried it at Vapor Central. It's 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 just not for me. I, yeah. I, I just pound back the, the vape, right? So, yeah. Like that's if I could put a mask on my face and just inhale THC that way, I would. <laughs> <laughs> are you still doing the uh marijuana zone at, at no like i i've i've retired from uh the tmz so that's been uh that's been a bit of a change doing a weekly show you kind of go through a bit of change there so that was you know we did a run we had over a thousand hours of video if people want to put that in perspective so we were doing like live webcasting like long before anybody else was really even considering it. Um, I miss it. I loved it, dude. I watched it a decent amount. So not just yeah, the one episode it, I was it, on. I watched a lot of it. Yeah, it's um, you know, I'm looking at other avenues. Uh one of the things I pay attention to right now is esports and in uh, Twitch. I don't know if anybody yeah. heard that. So but yeah. Twitch is huge yeah, for video. So, so you might see me playing video games in the future and smoking pot. I like it. You know, get some you hot know, girls. My biggest hobby, right? You know, hot girls on a trampoline, <laughs> video games, <laughs> and a trampoline. Face good call. I can't, can't, can't go wrong with a trampoline. So, uh, what are your thoughts on the recreational legalization happening in Canada this summer? You, you a fan of that? I mean, uh, or just decrim. I mean, yeah, it's privatized that to where I look at it. I mean, cat's kind of out of the bag now. I mean, we have Bay Street, you know, making bank on it. And this is the way it was designed to go. I mean, like people in perspective, not just the court case, but I, I started 420 or co-founded 420. I have to correct myself co-founded the 420 movement here in Ontario and Toronto. Without us, there is no 420 smokeouts until yeah. we started, except for Vancouver. And we started doing the first ones to really, you know, push the law on that. Um, just so to see it, like when I knew what I was doing, like I knew my goal, end goal was to make cannabis so popular, it'd be as popular as Nickelback. Um, <laughs> Don't to make get, it suck. <laughs> right like i mean like it's 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 huge i mean it, it's like taylor swift or whatever you want it to be in mainstream radio but i mean marijuana is just everywhere um to, to get to that you can't just have decrim you can't have people 
you know, growing it in a warehouse and not testing it uh, and having recall lots and, and all of that. So I think that's a really an important step. I think also, though, that people do feel quite a bit left out. Um, I can see their position on that for sure. Who but do you then, think? You know, I, who yeah, do go you ahead. Think, who do you think the losers are going to be out of the recreational legal uh, legalization? I mean, I know the winners are going to be whoever gets to produce and sell the recreational cannabis. Who loses? Uh, I don't think anybody has to be a loser. That's that. I mean, that's my position. I, I hope people take an opportunity to explore their options and, and, and see what opportunities are out there for themselves. I mean, I was going to Vapor Central and to other head shops and people I knew that worked there, and I openly encouraged them to get a job at the Ontario Cannabis Store because it was paying a lot better retail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, no offense to my head shop owning friends, but yeah. like the, the government store job was paying these people, you know, yeah, it was a way better job, right? Like, no offense. $15 an hour dispensary kids here in Toronto is sometimes making maybe 17 making a lot more money if they went to go work for the Ontario Cannabis Store, cannabis store right? So I can't, I can't argue against stuff like that. I, I don't think there should be losers. I think everybody could win if people looked at it from the most appropriate perspective of, I'd like to be involved. I'd like to bring my skill set. You know, I mean, there are very few people, if you look at my skill, I have 15 years illegal experience, I guess, for lack of a letter word, and understanding yeah. court systems and governments and all that and lobbying. And I have two years in the legit system. So I think it can be done. It's not easy. It's definitely not an easy transition. But how, I feel like there shouldn't have to be losers. How much more have you learned in the legit side? Like, are you surprised? Did you think you knew it almost all getting into the legitimate side? How much more did you learn? Uh, well, the thing about the legitimate side, it changes every day. Right. <laughs> like, I like, to stay up to date. Like, and you learn tons. Thing. I mean, like, go ahead. No, go ahead. She's just saying the more you learn, the less you know. I knew what she was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. I mean, like, but it's truly like from what there are things, I guess, on in terms of regulatory regimes and working within the confines of a regulatory regime. It, it's just it, it's mind boggling. It, it, it's, it's a challenge every day and it's a great challenge to undertake with your team. Um, and I enjoy doing it. So I've learned a lot that way. One of my favorite tasks is hanging out with scientists that work with the cannabis plan and asking them odd usual questions. Yeah. Like not questions. <laughs> they get my that. favorite job is talking to horticultural, like high end horticulturalists and saying things like, like, can we age cannabis and how long can we age it for? Have you ever thought of that? Like how can like, should we do that? Is it, is it um, like long? I'll tell you on 420 when I open a crate because we didn't have the answer to that. Oh, shit. Okay. <laughs> so this is, it's all coming around. Where you know, is Matt I have Myrna celebrating? I'll tell you, time. I've never had pocket better over time. <laughs> no, me neither. Me neither. <laughs> I, I'll be at Vapor Central in the hot box on 420. Um, and I got a flat, like just to put in perspective of ball jars, like the small ball jars. And from my personal grow from the last year, 
we have at least the last year and a bit. So we have most of it will be within eight to 12 months. We have hash that's two years old that we've kept. Okay. Um, now, obviously, unfortunately, we don't have science. If I had, like, complete access to a lab, and I could yeah. go test the curves, bring it back, see the de- degradation. Um, so we don't have an answer. I think it's really neat thing just like where legalization's going like that's where my head's at like people are like what vintage i'm like yeah um research because you asked the research they've pulled up cannabis trichome off of can like the trichome heads off of degrading plant mass that was 2500 years old that was buried just below the permafrost so it was in well good shape and they were able to dry, uh, identify trichome heads Crazy. Really? Yeah. <laughs> this is like, thinking, that's like the day job, right? I'm thinking of all your ball jars, though, and I'm going, wait, but like when you take them out after a year, what will you be measuring them against? You're just going to be you going. You be like, oh, a year ago, I think I was this high. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, I mean, like, essentially, it's kind of that. I mean, like, I should have a pretty good nose. I mean, a lot of this stuff I've grown a long time, so I have a pretty good idea what it should smell like, if it's gotten stronger, if it's gotten better. But, yeah, I mean, like that point, exactly. That's why we have science that goes out and says, okay, we're going to test it, and then in a year later we're going to test it again. Yeah. Right? And that's what legalization is. If there was someone who's just opinion I would trust, it would be yours, Matt Marina. Like, <laughs> if I had to just believe someone who was like, "Yeah, I smoked this eight months ago, and now today, here's how it compares." I'm like, "Yeah, it's Matt. I believe him." <laughs> the problem is saving yeah. it for eight months. Yeah, right. <laughs> Lucky he keeps growing it, so it's not a problem. He hasn't had to not. Right, and smoke. if you think of the the other thing there, guys, is that if you think about it this way, is that because of prohibition, no one ever kept cannabis for like a year. No. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, we're gonna just put this in a jar and keep it for a year. No. no, they're getting rid of it. <laughs> if they did, they forgot it was in like a sock drawer yeah. in a bag where it turned into powder anyway. So right. no one purposely saved this stuff. Man. So those Marina. are the things. I mean, like 420 is a lot different for me. I'm no longer doing the 420 rally. So, no. you know. Do you miss that? No, I mean, it's. Yep. We talked to like Chris Goodwin and I'm like, that sounds like the ultimate place to be on 420. And I know you were a part of that in the beginning. Yeah, oh yeah. I'm I'm happy that it continues to happen. Like that that's what makes it awesome. It's like as a creator, if you're able to go and be like, yo, six people started this. Like yeah. twenty thousand people show up, right? So yeah. it's cool to be part of a creative process. And to help people and, and create stuff. And, and that's kind of how I've always looked at it. Like, oh, this is a creative process. We created, I mean, I did it for a long time, man. And not to mention, you know, we, we were talking about earlier in the show, Matt, I think this is really cool. Like in a couple of hundred years, when they talk about the history of the legalization of cannabis, your name is likely going to be a part of that conversation. And our first guest, Bruce Perlowin. Like his name is likely to be a part of the history of cannabis changing in the United States and Canada. So that's friggin' awesome. Legacy, dude. Yeah, I mean, like, and that's, yeah, 
you kind of feel old, but it's pretty awesome, man. Well, we're old. We're we're getting old anyway. You might as well have some legacy with yeah, your right. Age, you <laughs> At know? least you're accomplishing something. <laughs> right, everybody's getting old. Most yeah, I mean, old. like if you look at it, you know, it's a pretty good legacy. Best-selling author, 420 co-founder. You know, like yeah. it's, it's privatization of cannabis in Canada for making us towards the legalization. I mean. But, I mean, yeah. 420, I guess, for yeah. your listeners, 420, just to put in perspective, before we started, there was a point where you're getting, getting, and then there was one 420 when it hit, and we were on the 24-hour news network. And that was the best. It was like a gorgeous summer day, practically. Yeah. Uh, and from that moment on, it was always now the best retail day for any of the head shops in the city. Yeah. Awesome. That's awesome. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, everybody knows that so, like, for sure. And to put it in my perspective now, to like try and create a new tradition with me, um, like I'm trying to create it like Christmas, like with the vintage flat. Uh, um, but I'll be out buying some gifts. <laughs> so you're making gifts. it a holiday. <laughs> yeah, man, and 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 Stunner should right. Like I yeah. think we're gonna move in Canada. Legalization is allowing us and should move us back into. Yeah, you can celebrate outside or you can celebrate indoors with loved ones and be like, man, we did it. Is another book coming from Matt Myrna? It's sitting in the publisher's hands. It needs uh, an edit between the two of us. What ended up happening, in all fairness, me and the Cannabis Grow Bible were kind of coming in at the same time. Um, And kind of the weekend when I was about to finish up and send it off after like it'd be Monday morning, they would get it that weekend. I read it on a printout. Like I had printed out at the line and I read through it and I decided I wasn't happy with it. Uh, and so I, I ended up pushing back my own schedule and they put the grow Bible out instead, which is quite my favorite book anyways. So okay. uh, highly recommend. Yeah. Um, and you could take my class. You can take my um, – if you want to come to Toronto this summer, I'm doing courses, weekend courses for cannabis growing. They're called Weed Enders. Um, and I'm gonna teach, yeah. So we'll be doing there? those. Yeah, where can people sign up for a Weed End? Uh, they can sign up at Hotbox Homegrown. So I think that's you know, Hotbox Cafe Shop, Hotbox Shop dot hotbox.com i believe they should be able to find us there or check out hotbox homegrown's twitter feed they'll have that but they start in may we got one coming up in may and then one in june one in july one in august hotbox is located in kensington market we've designed it so you'll do two hours in the morning have a three-hour lunch break as well enjoy the kensington market come back do another two-hour session with me of growing and then we do it again Sunday. Oh, Friday night's a social. So you get 10 hours. Cool. Can't beat that, yeah. man. Reason, another reason to come to Toronto. So, Matt, we're about to turn into a pumpkin. We got 60 seconds left, and this is just going to shut off on us. So anything else you want to get out there, uh, check them out at Myrna.ca or at Myrna on Twitter. What else do you have that you want to put out there? Oh, those are my ones and my Instagram's at Myrtle. I'm at Myrtlewana everything and you can find me on PS4 at Myrtlewana. Um and, and if you're a gamer, for- PS4 gamer, check me out PS4. 
Twitch coming soon, too. I'd love to see you on Twitch. All right, Matt Myrna, thank you for taking time. I know it's late in the night, so thank you. And next time I'm going to bring you on early, remembering that that's the situation. We'll get you on at like the All 7 right. o'clock hour so we can spend more time. All right, check him out, Myrna.ca. No problem, Matt. At Myrnawana on Twitter and Instagram. And then check his book out, Marijuana Smoker's Guide, and get ready for Hot Box coming soon. All right, we will be back next Potstock Radio coming in May. Have a great fourth a part of our celebration. Good night, everybody. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life. And that's how she wrote.